Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Johnny. Please do take a seat this morning. And if you'd like to grab a Bible, uh, then that would be fantastic. Uh, there's some at the back, and I should think Hazel would... Oh, no, we've run out of Bibles. Sorry. Um, we'll get more of them next week. We won't need them, because... We'll be in two groups in a couple of weeks' time. But if you can find it on your phone, then that'll be fantastic. You'll find the Wi-Fi code on the back of the news sheet. Uh, we're going to need our Bibles this morning, though we're not going to need them for a few minutes or so. If you're not familiar with the Bible, just as a, an unscripted preamble, if you're not familiar with the Bible and you're wondering what to expect, there's two parallel images that the Bible talks about itself with. Um, the first is that it's the sword of the Spirit. It's a soldier's sword. And therefore, the Bible, as God speaks to us through the Bible, is good for advancing and pushing forward and moving forward things in life that perhaps uh, seem difficult to advance. It's a soldier's sword. It's a piece of weaponry in that sense. Um, uh, the flip side is it's also in the Bible talked about as the surgeon's scalpel, sharper than uh, a scalpel able to cut bone from marrow and the surgeon's scalpel there is is needed to heal to remove things from our life which are not useful or helpful to us or damaging our life and the bible can come in and and slice them out just as a surgeon does not free of pain but purposeful and right so if you've never heard the bible taught before which is all that i'm going to try and do this morning um, there was something to expect. Expect God to speak in such a way that it's like a soldier's sword and it's going to advance and push through your life forward. Or expect God to speak in the way that it's like a surgeon's scalpel and what you hear taught today is actually going to work in your own life in a very healing and helpful way, even though it might be initially painful, just as a surgeon's scalpel um, might be. What we're going to think about this morning is prayer. Here's one of my favourite quotes on prayer. Prayer is the only weapon in our arsenal that hits home every time. We can put the gospel on the radio and people will tune out. We can put the gospel on the TV for people simply to switch off. We can knock on people's doors to have them slammed in our faces. We can even bring them to church for them to stare at the rafters. But every time we pray, it's an arrow that hits home. An arrow that hits home. That's a quote actually from C.S. Lewis, the great Christian thinker of yesteryear, Oxford and Cambridge Don, most famous as writer of the Chronicles of Narnia. I love what he says there, that prayer is an arrow that hits home. It's the only weapon in our arsenal that we can confidently say has struck the target and will do God's work that we want it to do. I don't know if you're a Christian this morning or not. I don't know what you feel about trusting and following Jesus. That's all, by the way, being a Christian means. It's not all the trappings of going to church or, or buying your clothes at Marks and Spencer's or uh, reading your Bible um, or playing cricket. Someone once told me being a Christian surely was about playing cricket. I'm not quite, was that the all in whites? I don't know what was going on there. Um, all being a Christian means, so just to be really clear for a moment, this will be important for one or two people this morning. All being a Christian means is you're trying to trust and follow Jesus as best you possibly can. He's going to help you with the, the rest of it. Uh, well, actually, as we trust and try and follow Jesus and we say our prayers, we speak to God about things, it's an arrow that hits home every time. Struggling relationship. Uh, there's lots of things we could try and do to rectify that. Prayer is an arrow that's going to hit home every time. Difficulty in understanding what God is doing as your health deteriorates. Lots of things we can do about that, not least seeking medical help and advice. But prayer is an arrow that hits home every time as you 
think about that. Now, the reason we're talking about prayer this morning is because this is the last in our little series of Glad You Asked. Those of you who are quite regular on Sunday mornings know for about six weeks we've been doing this series called Glad You Ask, where we asked you two or three months ago to tell us the sorts of questions that you might get asked at work or you yourself have about life and about faith and about Jesus. And we from the front would do our best to offer something of an answer. And this last category of questions that came up were about prayer. What is prayer? How does prayer work? How does prayer connect with the miraculous or the supernatural? What's going on with prayer? As I've thought about this, I've realized that there is an enormous difference between understanding the mechanics of something and activating its power. There's an enormous difference between understanding the mechanics of something and activating its power. And just because we don't necessarily understand how something works, it would be daft of us not to avail ourselves of its power just because we don't know the mechanics. Otherwise, I'll be honest, I'd spend all my time sitting on our car in the driveway, never turning the ignition key. Because there's enormous difference, isn't there, between understanding the mechanics of something and activating its power. I'll be the first to admit that I can change a tire, change the oil, and that's where my skills end around cars. I don't understand how the internal combustion engine works. I don't understand what happens when I turn that key in the ignition. That doesn't stop me activating its power. Or if I go to the doctor because uh, I'm a bit ill, I'm a bit poorly, and the doctor prescribes some kind of medicine, and I go to the counter at the pharmacy and I take that medicine home, and there it is in its nice uh, paper bag. But then I leave it on the counter because I say, well, actually, I don't have the medical degree to understand exactly what that medicine's going to do in my body. It would be daft of me to do that, wouldn't it? Just because I don't understand the mechanisms of how something works doesn't mean I don't activate its power in my life. And so it is with prayer. The Bible actually has an awful lot to say about the mechanics of prayer. The Bible is keen for us to understand as best we can how prayer works. But over and above that, the Bible assumes that we will activate its power. Not simply because we must, sometimes it is a command, we must pray, but mostly because we we may. We may pray. What a privilege. What an opportunity. We can talk to God, the creator of everything, about stuff in our life. I was really struck by this years and years ago when I read one of, one of the most uh, favourite passages in the Bible when it comes to prayer. You, you may or may not be familiar with it. It doesn't matter if you are or not. But in Philippians chapter 4, we're told that in all things, when we face anxiety, we can lift our requests to God. But what precedes that promise, you can lift your request to God, you can talk to him about your trials in life, is a little phrase, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And friends, that little phrase is right at the heart of why I'm going to invite all of us this morning to leave this morning praying a little bit more than we've done before. Whether you've never prayed at all or whether you spend hours every day praying, yes, that is some of us, I'm sure, but to pray a little bit more than we've done before because we realize the Lord is near. He's not far, he's not distant, 
He's not left you. He's not abandoned you. He's not turned his back on you. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, whatever you, your relationship with God might be like at your end of it, he is near. He's near. Now, what I want to do is have a quick skircher through some of the things that Jesus assumes about our prayer life. I've actually got quite a few. If you added them up, then you could say this was a 73-point sermon. Yeah? I'm not even joking. <laughs> and then I want to look at one particular passage in James chapter 5. And it's James 5 that we'll turn to in a few moments. That's the Bible passage I want us to all look at. But Jesus says some remarkable things about prayer as he encourages us about prayer. For example, Jesus gives us a sample prayer to follow, often called the Lord's Prayer or Jesus's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus prays for himself in distress when life is difficult, Matthew chapter 26. And if Jesus prays for himself, how much more should we actually spend time praying for ourselves? Uh, Jesus prays for us. Have you ever realised that? In, Matthew, in John chapter 17, Jesus actually prays for people who will believe in him at some point in the future. Jesus is praying for me right there in the Bible by name. I pray for Alex who will come to believe in me. That's in John chapter 17. The Alex bit isn't, um, but, but you can insert that in fairly safely. Um, Jesus prayed daily as was his joyful duty as a good Jew based on Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus prayed at mealtimes saying grace is a good thing. He prayed at mealtimes, thankful for his food and recognising that God is the God of all provision. Jesus prayed early Early in the morning before anybody else was up, Mark chapter 1. Jesus prayed publicly in front of crowds, Luke chapter 3. He prayed privately with small groups of friends, Luke chapter 9. He prayed collectively together with some kind of liturgy that everyone repeated after him in Luke chapter 4. Some people would argue he was an Anglican. I think it's a bit broader than that. He prayed absolutely on his own when no one else was around in Luke chapter 6. He prayed spontaneously as life throws its challenges at him. For example, in Luke chapter six, he prays painfully through the tears at the funeral of his best mate, Lazarus, John chapter 12. He prays thankfully, often, time and again, full of thanks for what God has done. For example, Matthew chapter 11, and he prays with his last breath. Now that is something to emulate, isn't it? With his last breath on earth, Jesus prays, Luke chapter 23, surrendering his life to God's sovereignty. What a way to exit the world. Jesus also has a whole bunch of instructions on how we are to pray. So if you've never prayed before, latch your mind onto one of these and begin that journey of prayer. Jesus says we should pray in faith, i.e. trusting in Jesus, not a superstitious mumbo jumbo, Matthew 21. Jesus says we we should pray succinctly. Hannah sometimes says that's a lesson that I should learn. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says we should pray God's will and his word back to him. John chapter 16, let's just pull into a lay-by on that one for a moment. How does the Bible and prayer work together? Together, it's how we have a conversation with God. The Bible is God speaking to us. Prayer is us speaking back to God. If one of those two things is absent from your life, you are not in a conversation. If only you read the Bible, you're under a dictatorship. God is just talking to you. If only you say your prayers, you're like a whingy two-year-old boy nagging his parents for everything, never listening to what his mum and dad says. That's coming from my lived experience. You need both, don't you? 
Through the Bible, God speaks to us. Through prayer, we respond to God. And so there in Luke chapter 16, we're told to pray God's words back to him. He has told us something. We pray it back to him with our own words. It's a fantastic conversational cycle. We're to pray fervently, Luke chapter 18. I often take that one literally, as you know. We're to pray humbly, Luke chapter 18, a little bit later on, because fervence can often become arrogance, can't it? So those two things are partnered together. Very challengingly, Mark chapter 11, we're to pray for those who harm us, hurt us, or hate us, to love and to pray for our enemies. Matthew 7, we're to pray for ourselves, just as Jesus prayed for himself. Matthew chapter 9, we're to pray for harvesters who might be used by God to bring people to trust in Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, we're to pray when we face real temptation and struggle. Some of you are actually trying to take notes, and I salute you. Fortunately, it's being recorded. Now, that's just some of what Jesus has to say about prayer. When we move further on in the Bible from from Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which are the stories of Jesus's life, to Acts, which is the launch of the initial church of Jesus, we see exactly the same thing. Do you know what the opening statement about the first thing the church ever did, the very, very, very first meeting of people who trusted Jesus, which is what church is. A Christian is just one person who trusts Jesus. A church is more than one person together who trusts Jesus. The very first meeting of the church, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, do you know what it says? Anybody? It's not even rhetorical, it's real. It says, devote yourselves to prayer and the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer and the apostles' teaching. Lots more follows, but the very first thing they did is they devoted themselves to prayer and the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is code language for the Bible. They devoted themselves to a conversation with God. Through the Bible, God speaking to them, the apostles' teaching. Through prayer, them speaking to God. The word devoted there means literally addicted. They were addicted, addicted. They could not go without it. I must have it. Have you seen me without my cup of tea in the morning? It's an addiction, yeah? I've got to have it. I'm desperate for it. Children, get out my way. Boom, smack. Dog goes out the window. Kettle, whoa. I've got to have it. Have you felt about, like that about prayer? And right the way through Acts, they pray, they pray, they pray, they pray, they pray. They talk to God. They're devoted to it, addicted to it. And then what's true about Jesus, what's true about Jesus' initial church is true also about Jesus' forever church. Now, Jesus' forever church is the rest of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the stories about Jesus. Acts is the story about his initial church. Right the way then from Romans, which is a letter to the church in Rome, right the way through all those short bits that make up the New Testament of the Bible, you can take one home if you haven't got one and look at it for yourself, are these letters to the forever church, to us as well. And right the way in there, we're told lots of things about prayer as well. A huge assumption that we will pray. We might not understand the mechanics, but we activate the power. We get in the car and we turn the engine on. Even when we do not understand how it's going to work, we know it will work. Some of the things we're told as Jesus' forever church about prayer are we're to pray confidently. Let me read some of these sentences from the Bible. They're remarkable. Confidently. 1 John 5.14 says this. This is the confidence we can have in approaching God in prayer, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. Do you hear that? 
This is the confidence we can have in approaching God in prayer, that if we ask anything according to his will, we've read his Bible, his word, we know his will, we pray it back to him, anything that's in there, we can be confident that what? He hears us. I'm a terrible dad sometimes because of Facebook. I stand there looking at Facebook on my phone. It's confession time. And I've got a child here going, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. There's a funny video of a penguin. Yeah, right? Now, fortunately, God is not like that. He hears us. He hears us confidently, but expectantly as well. That same sentence, 1 John 5, continues. If we know that he hears us, so we do, we know he hears us. Whenever we ask in his, anything according to his will, we know that we have what we have asked for. We know that we have whatever we have asked for. If we ask for anything according to his will, we've read the Bible, we understand what he's saying to us, and we pray that back to him, he not only hears it, we know we have it. Now that's remarkable, isn't it? Do I understand the mechanism of that power? No. Even less than I understand the internal combustion engine of my car, I don't understand the mechanism. But my goodness, I'm not going to be so daft to not activate its power just because I don't know how it works. Not just confidently, not just expectingly, our prayers are all-encompassing as well. Ephesians 6, 18, we're the forever church, this is what it says. And pray, talking to us, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Did you see me circle all those alls and alwayses? all-encompassing, pray for everyone, about everything, all the time. We're also to do it faithfully. I like short Bible verses. They're easy to remember. Romans 12, 12, pray faithfully. That's at my kind of level. Pray faithfully. There it is. Reliably, consistently, without stopping. Keep going. Have you stopped praying for someone? Have you neglected that? I've been convicted about how much I'm praying for my family this week through reading those two sentences. Pray faithfully. What used to be twice a day became daily, became three times a week. What has happened, Alex? Get back on the case. A couple more were to pray devotedly with addiction. It's not just true about the initial church in Acts 2.42. It's true about the forever church, Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful, be addicted, devoted, fascinated about prayer. And lastly, we're to pray unfinchingly. I had to include this one because this is an instruction directly to men, directly to men. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, where men in prayer are to lift up holy hands. And the phrase there, lift up, is a boxing term. It literally means get your fists up. Get ready for a fight. Get ready for battle. That is an instruction exclusively to men about prayer. Lift up your fists. Get yourself ready. You're entering a battleground. Fight in prayer. And just as another little lay-by, I'd just like to say there is a misunderstanding, a huge misunderstanding of what your prayer life should be like. Some people think actually when we engage with God in prayer, it's a little bit like some yoga meditation. It's all calm and peaceful and quiet. And you, you find a quiet corner somewhere and you have some candles and maybe some rose petals on the floor and perhaps some classical music playing in the background. And it's all very, ah, yes. 
Now, I'm not saying that's not a good thing to have in your life if you can find it. That is not how the Bible views prayers. I cannot find one place in the Bible, I'm happy to be corrected, I cannot find one place in the Bible where prayer is seen as serene, peaceful or quiet. The language is battle language. Lift up your hands as you enter prayer. Romans 15, as Paul talks about it, I urge you, it's a wrestling term. It's about girding up your loins. I don't really know what that means, but it sounds good. And getting ready to fight. And then he says, how I wrestle in prayer for you. It literally means how I dive in there. Bam, bam, bam. Yes, praying. You should find praying pretty exhausting. You should find praying pretty hard work. There's a number of reasons why once a month I have an entire day, normally I try and make 12 hours, an entire day where I pray, I prayer walk for 12 hours. I normally try and cover 30 miles in 12 hours. That's, that's quite a long way in 12 hours praying. There's a number of reasons I do that once a month. One of the reasons is, is because I get to the end of the day physically, spiritually and emotionally shattered. That is what prayer should do to you. That is what prayer should do to you. That's an aside, it's not in my notes. Let's pause and get our wits around us. I'm not gonna summarize all those points. You can look back and listen back on uh, the internet if you want to. Here's the main thing I'm trying to say, trying to drive home, is that we might not understand how it works. Some of us this morning might not even call ourselves Christians. We might have very little comprehension of the mechanics of speaking to God about stuff. But how daft are we if we do not activate its power just because we do not understand how it works? For those of you who aren't a Christian, your first step to trusting Jesus could be a step of saying a prayer to him, talking to him. Why not? We should be prayers. And so what I want to do this morning, as we come into land, is look at James chapter 5. One of these sections written to the Forever Church, probably by Jesus' brother James. It's on page 1216. Page 1216. James chapter 5. I've asked a few people to stand at the front in a few minutes. And they're gonna offer themselves to pray for folk as we sing some songs of praise to Jesus to come to the front and be prayed for. And I want to show you out of this passage the sorts of things that someone could pray for you and they'd like to pray for you. Look with me first at sentence 16, if you would. And let's just see the power and the potential and the person of prayer. The end of sentence 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So hopefully I've done a quite good job underlying that prayer is powerful and effective. Prayer gets the job done. It's the arrow that hits home every time. Not the only weapon in our arsenal, but the only weapon in our arsenal that hits home every time. Who is a righteous person? Does that mean we have to be perfect? Well, I don't think so, because the case study of a righteous person is Elijah. Look at sentence 17. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Do you see the emphasis that there was nothing special about Elijah? It doesn't say Elijah was a superhuman, does it? 
It doesn't even say Elijah was a prophet, which he was, a, a grand title. It says he's just a human being. And then to doubly underline it, even as we are. He's, Elijah is just the same as you. So a righteous person is not some elite class of Christian. It is a human being who is right with God because they've trusted in Jesus. So if that describes you, you're not saying you're perfect or superhuman. You're saying, I'm just a human being like Elijah. I'm just like Elijah, but I'm right with God because I'm just trusting in Jesus. Then your prayer is powerful and effective. You're Elijah. He's just a human being, even as we are. And if you're trusting in Jesus, God is listening to your prayer. If you're reading the Bible and praying the Bible back, even better, even better. There's four then categories of people that we would like to pray for this morning. The first in sentence 13 is those of us who are struggling. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. So this morning, do you feel like you're the someone who's in trouble? You're struggling. Money is hard. A relationship is hard. You feel guilty and ashamed of something done to you, or guilty and ashamed of something you have done. There is just a struggle in your heart. Let them pray. Be prayed for this morning. Chris and Jane Nutt will be at the front. Lawrence will be at the front. Mel will be at the front. I'll be at the front. Let one of us pray for you. Second category is those of us who are singing. Not struggling, but singing. Look again at sentence 13. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So if God, if there's a good thing in your life, praise Jesus for it. Sing about it. Singing in the Bible and in our culture has remarkable capacities, doesn't it? To engage our emotions and our souls. Our mind is very necessary. Our heart needs engagement. If you're happy, sing about it. Johnny's going to help us do that with his band in a bit. Some of us will come to be prayed for because we're struggling. Some of us will want to sing. If there's time, I'm also going to have a microphone at the front and we'll create them space. And if you want to share what you are happy about and encourage people with that while you're singing, then there might be time, space to do that this morning. There might not. I'll just see. I want people to be prayed for more than that, but there might be time for that. Third category, the sick. So are you struggling? Are you singing? Are you sick? Look at sentence 14. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. So perhaps you're sick ill, acutely or chronically, terminally or just temporarily? Have you had someone pray for you? Have you asked someone to pray for you? Just to lay a hand on your shoulder if you're comfortable with that and ask for God's blessing and God's work in your life through that illness. It says here as well that uh, the elders could anoint you with oil. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, anyone can anoint anyone with oil. Sometimes it's helpful for the elders, the leaders of the church to do that. This morning, all those who are praying will have some oil. They're not going to anoint you with oil. All they'll do is put their thumb in it and just put a cross on your forehead. 
But if you ask for that, they'd be delighted to do that. If you think that would release something, if you think that would be purposeful and helpful. Lawrence is one of our elders. I'm one of the elders. So if you'd like an elder specifically to do that, then ask Lawrence or I to do that. But all those praying will have oil to do that if you ask them to do it. They're not going to do that unless you ask them to do that. It's also just worth noting that the way God answers this prayer for healing, this prayer for the sick, it's actually not a prayer for healing, it's praying for the sick. He answers it in one of two ways. Do you notice? Sentence 15. The prayer offered in faith will, number one, either make the sick person well, they might get better, a combination of miracle and medicine, or number two, the Lord will rise them up, raise them up. It means the Lord will elevate them to be able to glorify God even through their illness. There is no promise in the Bible that God will supernaturally heal us. He doesn't promise to heal us. It's a false promise if you've heard that. He doesn't promise to heal us if our faith reaches a certain level. That's a lie. You've been sold a lie. Sometimes he does heal. Sometimes he doesn't heal. In both ways, he answers our prayers when we are sick, either by healing us or raising us up in such a way that we give glory to God even as we face that illness. So it's worth noticing that. And those who pray for you will pray both of those two things. They will pray that your sickness will go away and you'll be made well, and they will pray that whether the Lord makes you well or doesn't make you well, the Lord will raise you up and Jesus will be glorified. And the last category to be prayed for is those who feel they are really sinning. They're really turning away from God. You were once near to God, and now you're not as near as you once were. Look at the end of sentence 15 and sentence 16. It says, if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I don't think that second healed is a physically healed. I think it's a spiritual healing. That sin is about saying you were once near God and now you're not as near as you once were. You're turning away from God. Well, just come up to someone at the front and not in detail, not in detail. This isn't pour out your heart territory. But if that is you, just say, look, I'm turning away from God through a relationship or through my use of money or the internet porn that I'm looking at. I'm turning away from God. And, and can you just pray for me that I'll be spiritually healed and brought back in? And they'll pray for you and they'll anoint you. The point of this morning, as I say, is not to try and explain the mechanics of prayer. We could do a whole series. In fact, I think through August, we're going to have a whole month preaching and teaching about prayer. And we can look at some of the mechanics then. This morning is to say, just because we don't understand the mechanics of something, we'd be daft not to activate its power. And prayer is powerful. Jesus prayed for himself. Jesus prayed for his disciples. Jesus prayed for us. Jesus gave us a sample of a prayer so we could learn how to pray better. Jesus urges us to pray in all sorts of different ways. The early church began its life. The first thing it did was devote itself to prayer and the apostles' teaching. And then right the way through the letters to the forever church, we're told again and again and again to pray continually, pray without ceasing, pray for each other. We should be a praying people. And we should be praying for each other. And so this morning, we're trying to create the environment to obey James chapter 5 and to create the opportunity for you to be prayed for if you are struggling, if you are singing, 
if you are sick or if you are sinning. And there'll be someone at the front, whether you know them or don't, that you feel able to step up to the front while others are singing and just have a brief prayer for and perhaps ask them to anoint you with oil. So you can see who those people are. Uh, Chris and Jane, would you just step to the front now, please? So this is Chris and Jane. They'll pray for people together as a couple. Uh, Lawrence, one of our elders. So particularly if there's an illness or a sickness and you'd like an elder to pray for you, as James 5 says, um, then Lawrence is here on his own. Mel, I've just lost sight of, of Mel just now. Oh, there you are, Mel. And, and Mel here as well. Um, and I'll be lurking around at the front. They're a friendly, friendly bunch, aren't they? Yeah. Shall I pray for us? And then Johnny will lead us in some songs. And just when you feel able, uh, come to the front. We've got plenty of time. And as I say, we should have time as well uh, for the opportunity for folk to share from the front if they want to encourage people with things that God has done uh, that they're singing about. And they want to say, this is why particularly I'm singing. Let's have a moment's quiet. Perhaps we'll just bow our heads if you want to. And we'll have a moment's quiet. Just allow God to speak to you freshly. Maybe allow God to bring to the surface of your heart something you'd like someone to pray for you about. Doesn't need to be a big thing. Could be at the front just for a minute for a quick blessing, perhaps on your marriage as a couple, perhaps on your parenting. Could be a major moment. It's all good. Some newlyweds. It'd be great to have the newlyweds. Just have uh, Chris and Jane as a 40-year married couple pray for you. So there's a few newlyweds, three or four newlyweds. I know there's one or two folk as well who are terminally ill this morning, um, and I know there's one or two folk who have loved ones are terminally ill. Um, Lawrence, it would be great if you went to Lawrence, so Lawrence could pray as an elder of the church, particular power in his prayers potentially. I wonder as well if there's perhaps someone who's still struggling with a bereavement, someone robbed from their life before they even really knew them, uh, robbed too early, and you're really struggling with that, I'd love for you to bravely step forward and be prayed for. Mel has a real gentle spirit. Mel will be a very good person to pray for you into that. And I also just wonder if there's the real struggle of longing to have children and not able to have children, either because of biology or because you're single, or uh, there could be a thousand reasons, or never able to have children, and that's a real struggle for you as well. So particularly if that's you, I would love to pray for you if that's you, if you feel able to ask me to do that. That would be a real privilege for me. Loving Father, we lift ourselves to you now, asking that we might love one another well by sharing this opportunity to pray for one another as your Bible says we can, this wonderful privilege as family that everyone is welcomed into this morning, even if this is the first time they're at church, so welcomed into your family. 
And so I pray that you just move amongst us by your spirit. That as we pray for one another, as perhaps some people just in their seats pray for each other. Father, your spirit would just come. Healing, provoking, comforting, disturbing. (coughs) Doing your work by your word as we come to you in prayer this morning. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Should we stand and sing? And just as you're ready, uh, please do come to the front and be prayed for.